0: Hello and welcome to Asbury Sermon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're about to hear a sermon that was preached in the context of a worship service at Asbury Free Methodist Church in beautiful Perth, Ontario. We trust that it will help you move closer to Jesus. So without further ado, welcome to Asbury Sermons. You know, uh, as we were preparing this morning, again, lorna didn't know the what i was going to be preaching on uh this week but i feel like the joy of the lord's song just about says everything you're going to hear in my sermon this morning (laughs) okay though the tears may fall my song will rise to you though my heart may fail my song will rise to you while there's breath in my lungs i will praise you lord in the dead of night I'll lift my eyes. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in my heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The Lord's joy over you is your strength. It's not your joy. It's the Lord's joy. Jesus, when he, Hebrews says, when Jesus went to the cross it was the joy set before him that sent him to the cross that's the joy of the Lord you are the joy of the Lord okay. that there's strength and beauty in that we're going to look at a story this morning of a woman who the tears fell her heart failed in the dead of night, when the waters rose, this woman in our story, for 12 years, if you want to put that scripture back up, please. For 12 years, that's 4,300 and some days, she suffered from constant bleeding. She had spent all her money under the care of not just one, but many doctors. And instead of getting better, her health was deteriorating. And her affliction was not just a physical one. In Jesus' day, in Judaism, the issue of blood would have rendered, here, rendered her ceremonially unclean. That means she found herself breaking the law or unable to comply with the system of rules and procedures that were laid out in the law of Moses. That's what, that's what it means by being unclean. You were outside of the law of Moses. Uh, Leviticus chapter 15 uh, gives clear instructions on those restrictions and requirements that she had to follow. Everything she touched was unclean. And if anyone touched anything she had touched, they were unclean. Leviticus 15, 25 to 30. So it's likely on top of that that her affliction was viewed as her own fault. A result of some sin she or her parents or family had committed. She was shunned and separated. She could not worship at God's temple. She could not go to the market because touching money to buy goods would have made the money unclean. <clears throat> she could not hug her family. It must have shrunk her life down smaller and smaller. She became very isolated. Now I think we've all had a bit of a uh, an idea about being separated uh, a couple of years ago. We all suffered through a version of this COVID-19 and those were difficult days. We were alone a lot of the time. We weren't allowed to fellowship together. We had to wear masks if we went out. It was this kind of separation we felt in even after uh, COVID, some people maintained and will continue to maintain they just feel more comfortable uh, with the mask on. Uh, isolation separation. Uh, I grew up uh, in the east end of Cornwall, Ontario. Does anybody know where that is? And uh, uh, I, I just I was the second last street at the East End and then there was my public school and then there was the Stormont, Dundas, Glengarry Lodge, which was a home for the aged. And I delivered papers there, but beyond that along Highway 2 there was this sanatorium, the St. Lawrence Sanatorium. Does anybody remember the sanatoriums? Yeah, you do? Okay. Sanatoriums were places where people with tuberculosis went. And uh, you know, We were free-range kids in those days, and we hopped fences and went everywhere, but nobody went on the grounds of the sand. There was just sort of an unspoken barrier about it, that there was something there that you did not go on. But identifying people with tuberculosis and isolating them kept the disease from spreading. It was a public health issue, and it worked. The decline in TB in that time period was miraculous. But the woman in our story found herself not only separated, physically suffering from the loss of blood, probably anemia, weakness, financially drained, socially outcast, and religiously impure. Can you imagine the number of urgent prayers that she must have offered. Have you prayed prayers out of the depths of sickness, the pit of discouragement? Have you prayed prayers out of abuse, poverty, loneliness, or depression? Depression and despair often accompany illness, or they may stand alone, but when you're in that place, the grace of God seems to wither under the burden of it. We may acknowledge the truth of Christ, but we don't feel it. We struggle in the dark and wrestle with our compromised thoughts, things like, I don't matter, I'm worthless, I don't have any purpose, nothing matters. It may be that the woman in our story cried out like David in Psalm 130, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, be attentive to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. In spite of the depths, you find yourself in, let me say to you this morning, that just even praying at a time like this is a declaration of faith. And every prayer of faith counts for good at the heavenly throne. It bears fruit for us. It bears fruit for those for whom we are interceding. And it is taken up into God's cosmic redemptive plan. Let me rephrase that. Every prayer of faith makes a difference in God's economy, in God's counsel. It bears fruit for us, and it bears fruit for the people for whom we're praying. It is significant, and it's good before the throne of grace. And Jesus embraces every cry of ours, every cry of anguish, every utterance of faith and prayer, And he shapes it into a force for redemption, deliverance, healing, and rescue. Because Jesus has been there. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Jesus Christ... God incarnate is sympathetic, he understands our weaknesses, our suffering, and he shares in them. Jesus has been there, but maybe more important, he himself suffered and knew the pain of feeling bereft of God's presence. Jesus cried out, Mark records in the ninth hour, that would be at three o'clock in the afternoon, when he was on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew the pain of feeling bereft of God's presence. Now, I've told you about my illness a couple of years ago. There was a a lot of emotional turmoil with the illness. And I had to seek the loving presence of God in the midst of that suffering. And I did seek it, and I did find it, and I was directed by it. How we deal with suffering or our response to suffering is vital, and it can take different forms. It can humble you. It does humble you you realize you're not in control it's God or nothing you're not invincible you're frail (laughs) you're at God's mercy work can harden you nobody understands me I'm on my own nobody can tell me anything I'm done with God it can lead to bitterness and separation. So how we deal with suffering or our response to suffering is really, really important. Now, I listened to a Tim Keller podcast recently called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. and I'm going to share with you some of the things that I learned from that podcast, things that can help us navigate suffering. So Tim Keller says, One of the important things in navigating suffering is weeping. The number one thing he said is weeping. Pour out your heart to God. Let God know again and again, out of the depths I cry. Weeping and lament. Don't deny the anguish you're going through. It helps you understand what you're feeling. Lament is an acknowledgement of the wounds in your heart and the loss you have suffered. Don't deny it and don't rush it. David said in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, have sorrow in my heart? Day after day, David cried out. Day after day, David wrestled. David wrestled day after day and didn't give up because David knew something. David knew that lament is a place where God meets his people. God understands how we speak when we're desperate. We tend to put God in a framework of our understanding. We limit him, but lament is a time when you remove those limitations and give yourself over to the mercy of God recently uh... I came across story of Joseph in Genesis seven times between Genesis 36 and Genesis 39 Joseph weeps you know there's that seven is the perfect number <laughs> in the bible seven times Joseph weeps and. At one point he weeps so loudly that it says that all of Pharaoh's household heard him wailing. So that's number one, lament, weep. Number two is trusting. It's a balance, trusting and weeping. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that you were a follower of Christ while he walked the earth. You were a disciple of his. You loved him, you had been with him. You saw him arrested. You saw him beaten in his agony. You saw him nailed to a cross. You saw him die. Now, would you have thought my life is over, I'm done, I'm getting out of here, I'm finished, my hope is gone. We had hope, but our hope is gone. You would not have thought something really good is happening here, right? You would not have thought something awesome is going on. You would have thought just the opposite. There's nothing good that can can come out of this. And yet, while this was happening, an ocean of truth and meaning was unfolding, but it was hidden in that moment. That's where trust comes in. Hold on, God is working. He never stops working. Even when I don't see it, He's working. Even when I don't feel it, He's working. He's working all things together for my good. So lament, weep, trust, and pray. I said earlier, every prayer of faith counts for good at the heavenly throne. It bears fruit for us. It bears fruit for those for whom we are interceding, and it is taken up into God's awesome plan for redemption. Every prayer you pray when you want to just give up is a precious offering to God. God is not indifferent to our tears. Psalm 56 says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Back to the Old Testament again. Have you read Job? Job. The story of Job is one of suffering and redemption i mean job wept he complained he chewed he vented his spleen to god but it was all prayer before god and in the end he got through in other words it doesn't have to feel good when you pray you just have to pray and sometimes with groans too deep for words the fourth thing that uh, Tim Keller mentions is hope. Now, it's hard to do justice to the promises of what God says lies ahead. Paul says to the church in Rome, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that would be revealed to us. Hope is putting faith in the glory that will be revealed. The context of suffering is the hope of glory, the hope of heaven. Friends, we see through a mirror dimly. But Paul says, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I don't know if you know what it means by light momentary affliction. (laughs) But Paul did not suffer a light momentary affliction. Paul suffered continually. But in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, he said it was nothing. I want you to think just for a moment about what that glory is going to be like. Think of yourself, put yourself in a room which is dark and there's one candle burning. Think about all the light that that one candle brings to that room. Then open the curtains and let the glory of the morning sunshine come in. The little light doesn't disappear, but the glory overshadows it so much. We're living right now in that little candlelight, okay? One day, the windows, the curtains are gonna be pulled back and we're going to experience the glory of the living God. Now to those four things that Tim Keller mentions, let me add one more. Stay in community, stay connected. You need the body of Christ and the body of Christ needs you. Galatians six says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love one another. Okay. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the law of Christ. Now, walking with and supporting people who are suffering is difficult. It may be something you think, I'm not very good at that. as a first time pastor in Verona back in 2008 I can tell you I was not prepared for the pain and tragedy of life in Verona and in the Verona church and sometimes I said to God I have no words God said just show up weep with people who are weeping Rejoice with people who are rejoicing. People don't need to hear your counsel at a time like that. They need to, you need to just be there with them, walk with them. Stay connected. It's crucial when you're, suffer, when you're f- facing suffering. But back to our story of the woman. It must have taken great courage and great faith for her to brave the crowd, touching so many people in the process, and then touching the hem of Jesus' robe. She would not have been in a crowd, she should not have been in a crowd, and she, should, she would have done her best to avoid the scorn of the law keepers. But the woman did not give up the fight, she pressed on, her desperation fueled her determination. The passage reads, when she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd, came up behind him and touched his clothes. Now I said to you that he touched the hem of Jesus' robe because that's what Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel says. She touched the fringe or hem of his garment. Because Jesus would have been wearing a prayer shawl called a tallet and at the corners of that prayer shawl, there were four blue woven tassels. Those tassels were there to remind people of the commands of God, but also to remind them that life was not to be lived by their own understanding, that they were under God's rule and authority. And the tassels were woven to represent that our lives of faith are woven into the fabric of God's rule and God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. So the hem and the tassels of Jesus garment were significant. And I think the woman knew that because she was not the only one who touched the hem of Jesus garment. It says in Mark 6:56 uh, wherever he went in villages, cities, or the countryside. They brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. So the woman knew what she was doing. But when she touched Jesus by law, it would have made him unclean. Okay, but by grace, just the opposite happened. Something happened at that moment, she touched Jesus' garment. Immediately she felt and knew that she was freed from her affliction. And Jesus asked, who touched him? And the disciples said, that's a silly question. There's so many people around you. Surely it's a silly question. But Jesus knew exactly why he was asking the question. And so did the woman who had been healed. Jesus was asking her to reveal herself not only to him but to the crowd he was giving the woman an opportunity to share her story she had thought jesus would be angry with her says that she came with fear and trembling for soiling so many people including jesus says she fell at her feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth the whole truth the entire unabridged version Okay? Must have been something to hear. Twelve years of suffering. The stain of shame, okay? The loneliness, all that she had lost emotionally, physically, financially, it all came pouring out. She told him the whole story. And then she told him how she knew instantly how she was freed from her suffering. You know the song, then the hand of Jesus touched me and now I am no longer the same. He touched me, oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul, something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. The passage ends uh, with these words, Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There's no anger, there's no mention of uncleanness just affirmation and blessing. Jesus opened the door to her complete reinstatement into the social and religious life and fellowship of her people. And we never learn the woman's name. It's interesting because in the story before that we heard about Jairus and Legion, but we don't know this woman's name. Now she has a new name, daughter, daughter. She has a new identity, She's no longer alone. She's part of the family, a daughter of faith. Go in peace, Jesus says. It would have been a peace that multiplied as she was restored to her family and friends and community. Go in peace means be joyful and thankful. Never dread a return of the affliction. Go with the smile of God upon you and the inner knowledge of God. Of that joy and smile friends that is the peace of christ the smile of god upon you and the inner knowledge of that joy and smile this is the peace of christ that we are offered this morning thanks for joining us this week on asbury free methodist broadcast make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.